Chapter Six of the Confessions of a Poacher, edited by John Watson, Fellow of the Linnean Society. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pheasant poaching. Through late summer and autumn, the poacher's thoughts go out to the early weeks of October. Neither the last load of ruddy corn nor the actual netting of the partridge gladden his heart as do the first signs of the dying year. There are certain sections of the game laws which he never breaks, and only some rare circumstance tempts him to take immature birds. But by the third week of October, the yellow and sere of the year has come. The duns and browns are over the woods, and the leaves come fitfully flickering down. Everything out of doors testifies that autumn is waning, and that winter will soon be upon us. The colours of the few remaining flowers are fading, and nature is beginning to have a washed-out appearance. The feathery plumes of the ash are everywhere strewn beneath the trees, for, just as the ash is the first to burst into leaf, so it is the first to go. The foliage of the oak is already assuming a bright chestnut, though the leaves will remain throughout the year. In the oak avenues, the acorns are lying in great quantities, though oak mast is not now the important product it once was, cheap grain having relegated it almost exclusively to the use of the birds. And now immense flocks of wood pigeons flutter in the trees or pick up the food from beneath. The garnering of the grain, the flocking of migratory birds, the wild clanging of fowl in the night sky, these are the sights and sounds that set the poacher's thoughts off in the old grooves. Of all species of poaching, that which ensures a good haul of pheasants is most beset with difficulty. Nevertheless, there are silent ways and means which prove as successful in the end as the squire's guns and these without breaking the woodland silence with a sound. The most successful of these I intend to set down, and only such will be mentioned as have stood me in good stead in actual night work. Among southern woods and coverts, the pheasant poacher is usually a desperate character. Not so in the north. Here, the poachers are more skilled in woodcraft, and are rarely surprised. If the worst comes to the worst, it is a fair stand-up fight with fists, and is usually bloodless. There is little greed of gain in the night enterprise, and liberty by flight is the first thing resorted to. It is well for the poacher, and well for his methods, that the pheasant is rather a stupid bird. There is no gainsaying its beauty, however, and a brace of birds, with all the old excitement thrown in, are well worth winning, even at considerable risk. 
in a long life of poaching i have noticed that the pheasant has one great characteristic it is fond of wandering and this cannot be prevented watch the birds even when fed daily and with the daintiest food they wander off singly or in pairs far from the home coverts this fact i knew well and was not slow to use my knowledge when october came round they were the very first birds to which i directed my attention every poacher observes year by year even leaving his own predaceous paws out of the question that it by no means follows that the man who rears the pheasants will have the privilege of shooting them there is a very certain time in the life of the bird when it disdains the scattered corn of the keeper and begins to anticipate the fall of beech and oak mast in search of this the pheasants make daily journeys and consume great quantities they feed principally in the morning dust themselves in the roads or turnip fields at midday and ramble through the woods in the afternoon and one thing is certain that when wandered birds find themselves in outlying copses in the evening they are apt to roost there as already stated these were the birds to which i paid my best attention when wholesale pheasant poaching is prosecuted by gangs it is in winter when the trees are bare guns with the barrels filed down are taken in sacks and the pheasants are shot where they roost their bulky forms stand sharply outlined against the sky and they are invariably on the lower branches if the firing does not immediately bring up the keepers the game is quickly deposited in bags and the gang makes off and it is generally arranged that a light cart is waiting at some remote lane end so that possible pursuers may be quickly outpaced the great risk incurred by this method will be seen when it is stated that pheasants are generally reared close by the keeper's cottage and that their coverts immediately surround it it is mostly armed moochers who enter these and not the more gifted save the mark country poacher and there are reasons for this opposition must always be anticipated for speaking for the nonce from the gamekeeper's standpoint the covert never should be and rarely is unwatched then there are the certain results of possible capture to be taken into account this affected and with birds in one's possession the poacher is liable to be indicted upon so many concurrent charges each and all having heavy penalties then this i obtained my game in a different and quieter way my custom was to carefully eschew the preserves and look up all outlying birds i never went abroad without a pocketful of corn 
and day by day entice the wandered birds further and further away this accomplished pheasants may be snared with hair nooses or taken in spring traps one of my commonest and most successful methods with wandered birds was to light brimstone beneath the trees in which they roosted the powerful fumes soon overpowered them and they came flopping down the trees one by one this method has the advantage of silence and if the night be dead and still is rarely detected away from the preserves time was never taken into account in my plans and i could work systematically i was content with a brace of birds at a time and usually got most in the end with least chance of capture i have already spoken at some length of my education in field and woodcraft an important though at the time unconscious part of this was minute observation of the haunts and habits of all kinds of game and this knowledge was put to good use in my actual poaching raids here is an instance of what i mean i had noticed the great pugnacity of the pheasant and out of this made capital after first finding out the whereabouts of the keeper i fitted a trained gamecock with artificial spurs and then took it to the covert side the artificial spurs were fitted to the natural ones were sharp as needles and the plucky bird already knew how to use them upon his crowing one or more cock pheasants would immediately respond and advance to meet the adversary a single blow usually sufficed to lay low the pride of the pheasant and in this way half a dozen birds were bagged whilst my own representative remained unhurt i had another ingenious plan if i may say so in connection with pheasants and perhaps the most successful i may say at once that there is nothing sportsmanlike about it but then that is in keeping with most of what i have set down if time and opportunity offer there is hardly any limit to the depredation which it allows here it is a number of dried peas are taken and steeped in boiling water a hole is then made through the centre and through this again a stiff bristle is threaded the ends are then cut off short leaving only about a quarter of an inch of bristle projecting on each side with these the birds are fed and they are greedily eaten in passing down the gullet however a violent irritation is set up and the pheasant is finally choked in a dying condition the birds are picked up beneath the hedges to a shelter of which they almost always run the way is a quiet one it may be adopted in roads and lanes where the birds dust themselves and does not require trespass in this connection i may say that i only used a gun 
when every other method failed. Gamekeepers sometimes try to outwit poachers by a device which is now of old standing. Usually knowing from what quarter the latter will enter the covert, wooden blocks representing roosting birds are nailed to the branches of the open beaches. I was never entrapped into firing at these dummies, and it is only with the casual that the ruse acts. He fires, brings the keepers from their hiding places, and is caught. Still another method of bagging long-tails, though one somewhat similar to that already set down, it requires two persons, and the exact position of the birds must be known. A black knight is necessary, a stiff bamboo rod and a dark lantern. One man flashes the concentrated light upon the bare branches, when immediately half a dozen necks are stretched out to view the apparition. Just then, the angler slips a wire noose over the crane neck nearest him, and it is jerked down as quickly, though as silently, as possible. Number two is served in like manner, then a third, a fourth, and a fifth. This method has the advantage of silence, though, if unskillfully managed, sometimes only a single bird is secured, and the rest flutter wildly off into the darkness. Poachers often come to untimely ends. Here is an actual incident which befell one of my companions, as clever a poacher and as decent and quiet a man as need be. I saw him on the night previous to the morning of his death, though he did not see me. It was a night at the end of October. The winds had stripped the leaves from the trees, and the dripping branches stood starkly against the sky. I was on the high road with a vehicle, when plashes of rain began to descend, and a low muttering came from out the dull leaden clouds. As the darkness increased, occasional flashes tore zigzag across the sky, and the rain set to a dead pour. The lightning only served to increase the darkness. I could just see the mare's steaming shoulders butting away in front, and her sensitive ears alternately pricked out on the track. The pitchy darkness increased. I gave the mare her head, and let the reins hang loosely on her neck. The lightning was terrible, the thunder almost continuous, when the mare came to a dead stop. I got down from the trap, and found her trembling violently, with perspiration pouring down her flanks. All her gear was white with lava and I thought it best to lead her on to where I knew was a chestnut tree, and there wait for a lull in the storm. As I stood waiting, a black lurcher slunk along under the sodden hedge, and seeing the trap, immediately stopped and turned in its tracks. Having warned its master, the two reconnoitred, and then came on together. The otter, for it was he, 
bade a gruff good night to the enshrouded vehicle and passed on into the darkness he slouched rapidly under the rain and went in the direction of extensive woods and coverts hundreds of pheasants had taken to the tall trees and from beneath were visible against the sky hares abounded on the fallows and rabbits swarmed everywhere the storm had driven the keepers to their cosy hearths and the prospect was a poacher's paradise just what occurred next can only be surmised doubtless the otter worked long and earnestly through that terrible night and at dawn staggered from the ground under a heavy load just at dawn the poacher's wife emerged from a poor cottage at the junction of the roads and after looking about her as a hunted animal might look made quietly off over the land creeping closely by the fences she covered a couple of miles and then entered a disused barn-like building soon she emerged under a heavy load her basket as of old covered with crisp green cresses these she had kept from last evening when she plucked them in readiness from the spring after two or three journeys she had removed the plant and as she eyed the game her eyes glistened and she waited now only for him as yet she knew not that he would never more come that soon she would be a lone and heartbroken creature for although his life was one long warfare against the game laws he had always been good and kind to her his end had come as it almost inevitably must the sound of a heavy unknown footstep on his way home had turned him from his path he had then made back for the lime-kiln to obtain warmth and to dry his sodden clothes once on the margin he was soon asleep the fumes dulled his senses and in his restless sleep he had rolled on to the stones in the morning the limestone burner coming to work found a handful of pure white ashes a few articles were scattered about and he guessed the rest and so the otter went to god the storm cleared and the heavens were calm in the sky on the air in the blades of grass were signs of awakening life morning came bright and fair birds flew hither and thither and the autumn flowers stood out to the sun all things were glad and free but one wretched stricken thing End of chapter six